You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 172. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Encircled.ca. Encircled is a clothing company that takes a mindful and slow approach to fashion by meshing function with style and quality over quantity. At the end of the show, I'll be speaking with founder Christy Sumer about the company. As far as where I am in the world right now this week, I am here in Chicago. Love Chicago. For those who may be newer to the show, you may or may not know that I lived in Chicago for seven years, basically ever since graduating college all the way through most of my 20s. I think I moved when I turned 30 to Austin, Texas. So I love me some Chicago. When I moved there, I never thought I would leave. I thought I was there to stay forever, but after seven Chicago winters, and after the Siberia winter in particularly, I was ready for a change of pace, and that led me to Austin, Texas in warmer climates. I am so excited to be back and spending time with friends, and my birthday is this Saturday, so I'll be kind of having a birthday that I didn't expect to be having in Chicago, but so excited to spend that day with some great friends I've known for so many years. So when it comes to today's episode, of course, we have our Q&A episode. I love doing these for you guys so much, and I hope you're enjoying them as well. We have a lot of questions, so I'm just going to dive right in. So first up, we have health coach Alex, who said, not sure if you've already answered this, but how are you funding all of your travel? Seems like this would really add up with currency conversion, et cetera. I think this is a great question a lot of people may be curious about. I am grateful to say that I am doing extremely well in terms of finances, and because of my specific situation with this, I'm actually spending a lot of money on flights and hotels or Airbnbs and food, but I'm also saving money in many other areas, including I don't have a rent or mortgage, I am soon going to not even have a car payment, I'm selling my car as well, utilities aren't a concern for me, I don't have any of those, and as far as like home goods purchases or just really random shopping goes, because I have to carry everything I essentially own with me and be able to carry it up flights of stairs, random purchases really aren't happening. I have no target runs, if you will. I have no other purchases besides things like little pieces of jewelry that I can fit easily into the carry-on that I'm living out of. So that saves me a lot. And then also when I'm in the States, I'm often staying at friends' places. So that's saving me a lot in terms of staying rent-free essentially. That said, I'm not doing this on a shoestring budget, and I have a year's of emergency fund as well. So I'm really just being mindful to what flows and feels right for me and my financial goals. And so far, it is going beautifully. Now we have haveless.bemore who said, what is your last best life lesson? How did it challenge you? I'd say the last best life lesson is probably the selling and leaving everything I know behind without knowing why I'm doing it. Following my intuition rather blindly in that I don't really know where this is headed. I don't know where I'm going to be next. I don't know when I'm going to stop traveling or any of those answers. So that would probably be the last best life lesson. And it challenges me on a daily basis because when my ego is not in alignment with my intuition, it deeply wants a person or a place to feel anchored to. And because I don't have that person or place through my intuition telling me to be any one place or with any one person, I just keep doing what my intuition tells me, which is leaving everything I know behind and just keep going. So 
that is a challenge when my ego is really feeling lonely or really wants a place to call home. So that's kind of what I'm working through. But right now, I'm very grateful to say that I feel a lot of alignment and things feel really, really good. But it hasn't always been that way. There was about seven weeks there where that was really challenging and a few other points along the summer as well. Now we have V plus four Hamp. She has asked, was wondering if you will ever reshare your Make Under My Life blog content. I loved your blog back then and found so many helpful practices and practical tips. So this is a great question and this actually became a great idea. I've actually spoken with VK and Raven on Team Lively about this and we're going to take your advice and we're going to start posting some of the best of the blog posts that I did for five years. I blogged every single day, five to seven posts per week. I'd have those going up and there's so much content that we're really not looking at. So of course you can go see all of the content that's ever been produced <laughs> from me since January of 2009 over at jesslively.com archives but I'm gonna have Raven going through and pulling out those highlighted pieces that we want to share with you that can be beneficial for you now just as much as they were when they first were written back in the day. So thank you for that suggestion. We're totally gonna to take you up on that idea. Now we have Living With Less who said, hey Jess, I saw that beautiful excerpt from your book and I'm so excited. How is the book coming along and when do you think it'll be ready for us to read? This is a great question right now. It's in the editing process. So that is where we're at. I'm not sure when it will be ready, but when it is, I will keep you guys posted. It's not a very long document or a long book, and really it's all geared towards you putting the book down so you start writing to your intuition, of course. But I am also thrilled to be sharing these insights into all the decisions that have come along the way over the last year that my intuition has helped me with in hopes that by seeing it, it will inspire you to try the same in your own life. Right now it's in the editing process and I'll keep you guys posted as we continue. Now we have Elt725, I think that's how you say it, who asked, how are some of your fellow travelers making a living while abroad? Are they having a blog or podcast or what are other ways people are making a living while traveling? Great question and I have to say, I have not yet met anyone that's full-time traveling and working like me. So I have not come across anyone like that personally. However, I do know that there are people that are traveling for long periods of time Typically, the ones that are traveling for long periods are doing it for a set amount of time away from their jobs. Although, I've got an idea for you guys. So one of my brothers has gotten this amazing opportunity called Remote Year. So this is a really cool idea for you guys to look into. Basically, you apply, and if you're chosen, you get to work and travel with 75 different people, and each month of one year, you're gonna live in a different part of the world together. So you're gonna be in, one month is in Colombia, one month is in Lisbon, one month is somewhere else, etc. And you travel the world for one year as a group of 75 people. The people that are doing it, I'm guessing, are like my brother who are gonna be getting remote status from their companies that they work for day to day, their full-time day jobs, are giving them this ability to do this remote work during that year. So that could be a way for you guys to travel and do something like this as well with a full-time job. So look into that. Of course, your company is going to have to sign off on that. Or if you're a freelancer, maybe you could even do it just with your own company. I'm not sure the rules or anything like that. I just know that my brother was one of the lucky people that got selected to do it, and he'll be starting his journey next year. So that's a great idea for you guys. And the only other community that I've really seen do this in a big way are the travel bloggers out there. There are people that spend their entire like last like five, 10 years or however long they want to traveling full time and they usually blog about it as well. So that kind of helps fund their travels and work at the same time. 
Now we have Boho Gypsy Life who said, hi Jess, what does your routine look like now? What did you edit out and what do you enjoy now? And I think I would say that editing out and what I enjoy depends on where I am, if I'm in the US or if I'm in Europe. Typically, they'll look a little bit different depending. So I typically, especially in Europe, was not really watching TV at night. I was more likely to be out at a restaurant meeting people and talking. I walk everywhere when I'm in a European city, typically besides Uber if I need to. I don't really do the public transit. Of course, if I need to and there's like a train that goes to the airport or something, I'll do it. But otherwise, if it's under three and a half miles, I'm most likely going to walk somewhere. So that takes up a lot of time walking three and a half miles somewhere and then walking back from that location. But while I've done that, I've actually stopped reading books and listened to books on Audible instead. And if you haven't done Audible, I highly recommend it. Feel free to go to audible.com slash lively. They've been a sponsor in the past. You can get a free book to give it a shot yourself there. And if you want to get more details about how I've changed things, you can go listen to the episode where I describe this in more detail at justlively.com slash simplified difficult. So that's a place where you can hear all of the details in more focused, concentrated, longer form. We also have Boho Gypsy Life who says, I'm finding that expectations sometimes steal my attention from the here and now. Would you say flow can counteract this? I think this is fascinating. I do think that expectations are stealing you from the here now. That's totally true. And when you're in the flow, when you ask yourself in flow, what is the universe flowing to me in the present moment, you're opening your attention and awareness to what is in front of you instead of what you think should be in front of you. Because what the expectation is, is what you think should be in front of you. So if you want to try to do this, here's one way to look at it. First of all, just asking yourself that question of what is the universe flowing to me in the present moment and then taking that adventure that follows from that. But also you can drop the specific expectation you have and think about the desired emotion you think that expectation will bring you. So let's say you think that you're going to feel super excited if someone really cute asks you out on a date. So if you're thinking about how excited that would feel, the idea is that excitement's what you're really wanting and you're using the excuse of the date to trigger that emotion. But we can actually get ahead of this and actually find ways to get into that emotion first and you'll be more likely to attract that cute date to follow. So that's kind of one way of going about this as well. And then once you're in that excited state, take the action that comes up from there. It may not actually lead to a date specifically, so that expectation may need to be dropped, but it could also lead to other things that are exciting as well. So hopefully that makes sense. And let's move on to Todd Jess, who said, what is one thing you gave up with this life shift that you thought would be challenging, but turns out you don't miss it? This is an awesome question. So first of all, Todd Jess, what a great question you have. (laughs) And I'll say that when it comes to the life shift and what was challenging and I don't miss it, stuff, underlined three times. The amount of stuff that I had, and I loved designing, I loved curating all of my possessions. I had so many vintage thrifted items that I put so much care and concern into crafting and curating, and it brought me so much joy to do so. So I sold most of the stuff. Then I kept about maybe 6% of what I still had left. I put in the basement in boxes that were like my clothing and some personal effects and some artwork as well that had a lot of personal meaning to it. But once I came back to Ann Arbor, I went through all of that stuff and I combed that down to even less. So now I have just a few boxes and actually most of the boxes or half of them are taxes, the invoices and stuff like that you need to keep as a business in case you ever got audited. I believe you need to keep seven years worth of your paperwork 
from invoices and stuff. So I'm still dragging along some of those invoices and boxes of tax stuff, which is unfortunately still in my possession at this time in the basement of the house I sold. The owner's letting me keep it there for the time being until I have a location. And then I whittled down my stuff really even further. I had two computers, gave one to my friend, donated another one that was never really getting used to begin with. I kind of feel like it was like my moment to either be in my funeral (laughs) or in my fairy godmother state that I got to see where all of my stuff, if I ever passed, would go. Who could enjoy it? Who could benefit from it? Most of the stuff that I just recently dealt with either went to friends in the area that I knew would benefit from it and love it, or it got donated. It is so interesting to realize that I don't actually need to have all that stuff in my life in order to be me and that my life and quality of life is still just as wonderful. Does this mean I'm like a crazy minimalist now going forward? Not necessarily. I could see having a beautiful home in the future that does include things in it and not being super, super sterile. But I don't think I'll necessarily ever have quite as much as I had in the past just because living with less, you realize you don't really need as much as you had before. We'll see how that flows for me, but right now, that was my answer for that question. Now we have Joy Voyage who said, Hi Jess, love your podcast and Life With Intention online. How do you handle or avoid the loneliness that can come from being in all of these new and also old places without a companion, friends, or family with you or nearby? Do you feel like it's strengthening your relationship with yourself? And I can say, yes, it is definitely something that I've had to deal with. And I am going to be honest, in the last few weeks, it started to feel a little bit like the Castaway movie. Do you guys remember that movie? I don't even think I fully saw it, but I do know there was this part in it or there's a character, Tom Hanks is stranded on an island somehow, and he has a volleyball that got the brand name Wilson on it. And so he starts having this relationship, as I recall, with the volleyball. And I don't have a volleyball with me but I do have a blanket. It's the only thing in my possession as I'm carrying my possessions on my back that doesn't have a practical purpose, truly. It's kind of there just purely for my comfort. It's not practical. It's not makeup or shampoo or clothing or shoes or the microphone or the computer. It's there to be there for me. It's to keep me warm and to be something that is consistent in my life. So Essentially, my volleyball is my blanket. So that is an interesting, weird tangent that I've noticed. But also, I listen a lot to teachers on YouTube that I admire. So I'm listening to a lot of Louise Hay or Abraham Hicks or Wayne Dyer. So a lot of teachers on YouTube, I'll play those videos of those teachers and learn from them while I'm alone. So I may not be conversing with someone in my life right now, but I do have those teachers to keep me company, essentially. And it is lonely. Writing to my intuition really helps. And then often I will like meet someone at an airport that I strike up a great conversation with. And then I'll ask them, for example, to get dinner with me in London since that's where we're flying to. That totally happened on the way back from Amsterdam to London. I really wanted to go to Dishoom. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the world. And I try to go as often as I can. So I try to go at least two or three times when I'm in London. And I'll just get different people to go with me. And at this one random you know, flight back, met this great guy who has a lot of travel interests and into philosophy. And I thought it'd be fun to get dinner together. So I was like, hey, let's do that. So that's one of the ways also to counteract the loneliness is to meet new people as I travel and hang out with them as well. So now we have Calissa Fiddler who said, hi, Jess, I'm curious what preparatory steps you took financially to be able to afford traveling so much these last few months. The truth is I didn't take any preparatory steps because I didn't plan to be doing it for so long. I've been going with the flow and monitoring the finances, but not being obsessing about them, just having faith that they're going to be there and watching that that has proven to be true. 
I also have a year's worth of emergency savings. So I know that if something went south there, I've got plenty to fall back on. And I'm just very grateful. The house sale and all of those sorts of things has created a great emergency savings and things are continuing to flow quite well. But that's not to say other people should do it that way. That's just purely how it's happened for me. Now we have Natsaya Rog who said, hi Jess, I'm listening to your show for a long time and I love it. My question is, would you ever like to visit Eastern Europe to meet new people, cultures? And I'm curious about Ukraine, by the way, with the winking smiley face. So I'm guessing she is from the Ukraine. I do think it'd be wonderful to go to Eastern Europe as well as Western Europe. I don't know when I will do that, but I think that could definitely be somewhere I'd like to visit eventually. Right now I'm gonna be mostly outside of Western Europe for the next several months, although I may or may not do a month in London. Not sure about that around the holidays. Haven't figured out what's happening after Thanksgiving for me, but I could definitely see this happening in the future, just not right now. Next up, we have Real XOXO Lib, who said, Jess, you share so much of your life with us, and I'm so, so grateful for it. But we all know the importance of keeping some things close to the vest. So I wonder, how do you decide what to share and what to keep under wraps? Have there been things that you've regretted sharing? This is something I'm thinking about in my own life and my blog, trying to decide what's for me and what should be shared with the greater audience. Thanks for taking our questions and building this community. Well said, first of all, can I just say that is a really well phrased and well-written quote here in this question. So if you're interested in this, I would check out Grace Bonney's episode of The Lively Show. So just go over to justlively.com slash Grace Bonney from Design Sponge. She goes into her approach to this and I thought it was really wise. But in terms of what I can say for your question, there are no regrets. I've never shared anything that I truly personally regret. I'm a pretty open book. I know a lot of people have their own thresholds for public stuff versus private stuff, but for me, I love that I am so open and sharing in general and don't have any regrets because that's my personality overall. The things that I'm not sharing with you guys though are obviously like dating details. Like I'm not going into little things like that that are not necessarily things to be shared publicly or even things that affect other people that may have been challenging in my past If those people have not asked to be publicly shared about it or their situations, then that's something I don't talk about. For example, I have someone close in my family who's had cancer and I don't share that because that person has their own life and their own repercussions for me sharing that publicly. So I don't talk about that in detail. Of course, it's affected my life in huge ways, but just stuff that I don't share because it's not about me. Now we have Kaylee's Adventures who said, hi, Jess, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to say a big thank you for your podcasts. She goes into a long little thank you note. And I just want to say thank you, Kaylee, for this note. You just wanted to share the love. And I just wanted to say thank you for that because we all have a choice. We have a choice of whether to share our light or our darkness with others. And thank you for taking the time to share your light with me. And this goes for everyone who's listening. Thank you guys so much for sharing your light with me. It means so much because we do. We all have uh, millions of ways we could spend our time, first of all. But doing it in a way that uplifts other people and shares our light with them is so powerful and so healing in so many ways for so many people. So thank you guys so much for sharing that with me. I hope to do the same for you with the show and everything I've done as well. And it just means so much to me that you guys choose to take your time to share your light with me. So thank you, Kylie, and for everyone else who's ever reached out. I really, truly appreciate it. Now we have Deshaun Woods who said, what are you reading and listening to lately? Any audible books, podcasts, or articles you're finding intriguing for an intention-based lifestyle? 
the things that I'm currently really into, I've got a list of them. So here's just things that are swirling around in my life through any of the following, like you said, podcasts or books and all those sort of things. I'm just going to name off some teachers that I'm really inspired to you know, dive into and have been listening to or reading in different ways. One I'll start with is Spiral Dynamics. I think I'm going to have an episode about this coming up on the show because I'm so fascinated by this subject, but I'll just say the Liturgist podcast the Liturgist's podcast, that's what that's called, has an episode called Spiral Dynamics. It's their episode number five. And I've been giving it away to people and recommending they listen to it like it's a candy or a prescription or something. I find it fascinating. So if you're intrigued, you can go listen to that episode on their podcast. And like I said, I think I'm going to have one of them come on to share it here on the show so you can, guys can learn more about what Spiral Dynamics is all about. I've also been really loving Abraham Hicks, Louise Hay, Ram Das and Richard Rohr. So those are other teachers and speakers and spiritual teachers and all that sort of thing that I've been really learning from through audio predominantly, whether it's audible books or it's podcasts. So you can just Google those names and find things that might strike a fancy for you. Or again, just go over to YouTube and type in their names and start listening to them there. Now we have Sophia Abrantes who said, hi Jess, lovely to meet you in Amsterdam. If you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Great question, and I have three pieces of advice to give my 20-year-old self. I actually, it's funny you say this because I just went to the University of Michigan Business School where I went to school and was pretty miserable, to be quite honest, and that experience, as you guys may know, but I am so grateful that my old advisor, Mary Hinesley, is now a professor there, and she always asks me every semester to come in and talk to the students, and she lets me go, no holds bar. I can swear, I can say whatever I want to these kids, and I basically just pour all of the information I wish someone had told me when I was sitting in their shoes. And it's so meaningful to me. It's one of my favorite things that I do in my life is to go there and just share with them what no one had shared with me. So here's what I told them last week in Ann Arbor. When I was there, I got to do this again. And I told them to connect with their intuition, find the flow. And I didn't say this one, but I would add this one to my 20-year-old self as well, to be gentle on myself. I think I was pretty hard on myself and I was very quick to feel guilty or shameful if I fell short of my values or what I wanted in my life. And now more and more as I'm getting older, I recognize that being gentle on myself is the quickest way to actually heal and get back into alignment with myself, with flow and with intuition. It's kind of like the handoff. If you're thinking about a relay race, taking the baton and taking it from the ego's control back into the intuition. I'm finding that that intuition alignment comes from being gentle on myself first and giving myself the freedom and flexibility to mess up and make mistakes along the way. Now we have Ajanti Isabel who said, are you doing any type of hobby while traveling? And is there any skill you'd like to develop in the future? I don't know if there's a skill I want to develop in the future. I'm sure there is. Maybe surfing, depending on where I live, could be kind of interesting. I don't know how far I want to go with that, but I did have a lot of fun doing it in Lisbon, and I do plan to do it in Costa Rica coming up as well. So we'll see. Maybe if I like it in Costa Rica and I live somewhere in the future that has surfing, maybe I could do that. In terms of hobbies while traveling, I think that traveling itself is kind of its interesting hobby, like sightseeing could be a hobby while you're doing it. I'd say my hobby is definitely walking. I walk, as I mentioned, almost everywhere, and I've really made walking my key form of exercise. 
I feel and I find that as I'm eating super healthy and then walking between 10 to 25,000 steps a day, which is very significant, that's like between five and 15 miles a day or so, that's a lot of exercise. And it's great because I get to listen to audiobooks as I do it and walk from location to location and see the cities that I'm staying in. As well as meeting new people and having adventures with them, that's been awesome. It's definitely one of the hobbies I guess I have right now. And then I guess the other thing is I play solitaire while listening to audiobooks and lectures while I'm flying or just kind of when I have the time to spend and I want to really focus on what's being spoken about and I'm not walking somewhere. Playing solitaire while listening is something I like to do. Now we have Lizzie number three who said, hey Jess, your Amsterdam posts have been beautiful. What do you have in your makeup bag and what skincare products do you love? I'm recently switching up my skincare and diet to be better with my body, skin, and hormones. Okay, so I have to say I don't have any magical things except for one. I do have one. You guys have to check this out. If you have acne, by the way, based on PCOS or hormone issues, please look into pumpkin seed oil. I have had cystic acne pop up over the last month, rather severe cystic acne, and it's getting better and better. And one of the reasons, and it's the most recent switch I have made, is because I am now washing my face and using pumpkin seed oil as moisturizer. So if you wanna look into it, go Google pumpkin seed oil and minimalist beauty. Minimalistbeauty.com, I think, is the blog, and that's where I found the most helpful information about what to use, especially if you're going to look into the oils. Because if you look into the acne world, a lot of stuff says to dry out oily skin if you have acne. But if you actually read real testimonials of real women that have actually beaten cystic acne, they all say the drying products have really did more harm than good. So no matter how many articles and doctors tell you to do the drying out stuff, and I definitely went to Sephora and got a bunch of products they gave me to dry out my face, really the peeling was just as gross as the acne itself. And just having it both on top of each other was no good. So I've seen a lot of healing and a lot of actually better oil regulation by switching to washing my face with oil. But there are two forms of oil with oils that make a difference. If you go read her blog, she'll explain why pumpkin seed oil and hemp oil are two really great oils to use instead of all the other face oils out there. So that's what I'm using now. And even just in the first wash, I noticed a big difference. And so far, I'm just thrilled. It's getting better and better. Now we have Heather RMO who said, any good reads you've come upon desperately need to find a new book. So I have three here. Two of them are personal growth books, kind of are stuff that's going to help you that are nonfiction, and one is pure, lovely fiction. So the first two that came to mind that I would recommend reading that I love so much are Loving What Is by Byron Katie, who is coming on the show coming up, and I'm so thrilled to have her on. She is one of the most enlightened people, I believe, on the planet at this time, and that book has been such a powerful tool for me and also helping me with clients as well. And then The Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle, fantastic book. Something, even if you've read it a long time ago, I would suggest rereading it again because if you're in a new place, I think you're gonna pick up new elements and nuances from that book. And then The Royal We. So The Royal We, we've had Jessica and Heather on the show, the authors of the book. It is pure fun fiction. If you love Princess Kate and William and you like kind of following their journey, The Royal We is pure joy. I loved reading it. I stayed up all night reading it. I laughed, I cried. It's a really thick book, but I wish it was 10 times thicker. I wish it was a billion pages long so I could just keep reading it. It was that good. Now we have Monica Schaefer Estevez who said, Jess, here's my question. How do you deal with someone you don't care for or respect, in my case at work, that you have to interact with? The person reports directly to me and unfortunately causes me a ton of stress and irritation. Letting her go is not an option at this time. This, of course, interferes with my ability to remain peaceful and present, although there must be a way around these emotions. 
Loving all your posts, photos, podcasts, and the class. Thank you for being amazing. Well, thank you for being amazing, Monica. Thank you for sharing your light with me. In terms of how to deal with this, I would say, and it sounds like you are in class two. So here's my suggestion. Figure out what your values, your uppercase V values are for people at work, <laughs> or especially even maybe what you could look at this person specifically or just in general, how you wanna interact with people in the context of work or overall. Once you figure out what those are, then start to practice them with this person. Now, here are some that you could be thinking about if you want, and especially these are ones that could be really applicable to this situation specifically. Acceptance, support, love, kindness, or compassion. Those may be elements that you find intrinsically fulfilling for you to live on a daily basis, and you can use this person as practice in your life to doing so. And then also give these same things back to yourself. So as you find yourself out of alignment with these values and not living them and feeling irritated, remember to accept, support, be loving, kind, and compassionate to yourself. Because if you're not able to do it for yourself, you can't do it for them either. So maybe figure out what your value is. First, give it to yourself. And then as you're giving yourself that value of love, kindness, compassion, support, or acceptance in these examples, give it to yourself first. And then as you're feeling less you know, triggered because you're feeling calmer because of all of this acceptance and compassion, then you can start to look at this person and start to engage with them in the same way. They're probably triggering something inside because it's possibly something that it's coming up for you for some reason. And I think if you can give this stuff to yourself first, you'll also be able to share it with them in your interactions. And then whenever you fall out of it again, go back to giving these values to yourself. Hopefully that helps you and my heart goes out to you. I have a feeling that things will shift as you start with yourself first. Now we have Catherine Colby who said, hi, Jess, adore your show and zest for life. Your podcast is my absolute favorite. My question is, what are some major differences between American men and European men? Also, do you miss cooking dinner or having friends or family over for dinner? As far as cooking goes, I have only made scrambled eggs and avocados and tortilla chips on the trip. (laughs) Pretty much that's my exclusive go-to meal if I'm cooking at an Airbnb. So I did, I guess I did have friends and family over when I was with Mr. Lively. He's the big cook and he was the big host and entertainer in terms of cooking stuff. I loved having people over, but he was the cook for those occasions. So I don't really miss it. I like going out to eat. And so I like to go out to eat with my friends as I do this travel. In terms of American men versus European men, I'm going to get into this because I know I would really want to know about this if I were listening. So let me share what I've learned so far. Two of my British friends say that they prefer Americans to date versus British people. And of course, this is just two people I've met. So I'm not saying this is, you know, everyone. This is just coming from people and experiences I've personally had or known. So by no means are these stereotypes for the entire cultures, okay? So let's be real here. But two friends did say that they're British and they prefer dating Americans to the British. Sometimes the Americans are more likely to actually want to go on a proper date than the British, which might be more casual about things. And one was a male and one was a female. British person saying that they preferred the American males or females in each of their situations. So that was kind of interesting. Americans seem to get married younger overall or more likely to get married younger than Europeans. There's many, many people in their 30s that are definitely still not married. They've had long-term relationships that are five, six years long or even longer than that. And they may have not lasted, but they often were not married. Like I actually haven't come across any people in Europe that are under their 40s. So that's kind of interesting. I also have to say from my dating experience personally, I have found I have a soft spot for the Southern European men, the Italians, the Portuguese, and the Spanish. 
I find them pretty expressive and feeling oriented. They're in touch with their emotions and they're not terrible to look at either. Let's be honest. Tall, dark, and handsome is kind of a nice look. So that's kind of what I've noticed overall in terms of dating. Now we have Jay's Jay who said, I'm all in with the concept of intuition, but I'm wondering if all intuitions are created equal. Do you think that perhaps you have done previous personal growth work that has primed the pump for your intuition to be more knowing versus the average Joe out there? This is such a good question. And I think that are all intuitions created equal? I think some of us have greater access more naturally to it than others. But actually, who said this? I think it was Gabby said this in her episode where or someone was saying recently about the piano and they use this analogy. So everyone can learn to play the piano, but some people are going to be really, really good at playing the piano and have more innate talent at it than others. But that doesn't mean everyone can't learn and get better as they practice. So I would say the intuition connection is sort of like that. So it's something that everyone has the ability to learn but not everyone's gonna necessarily take it to the extremes that could be there for them if they choose to. So I may have developed more of an ability to, and really that ability has also created the willingness to ask and listen to. So we can't overstate that enough. The fact that I have the willingness to ask the questions and then listen for the responses over time is what actually makes me better at doing it. A lot of people that have resistance to doing in the first place don't develop it because they're not willing to ask and listen. And overall, I would say if you are looking to get better at it, just give yourself time and start trying that writing exercise to start. I also have a little intuition mini guide that gives you other suggestions and ways besides the writing exercise if you're interested. You can find that over on the sidebar of the blog. So if you go to justlively.com slash blog, you'll see a little link there so you can get those videos too. Now we have Arisha Chatterjee who said, hi Jess, I'm starting a blog and do YouTube videos. And while my intuition has been guiding me to do so for a long time, I'm struggling with an almost crippling fear of putting myself out there. Any suggestions on how to deal with this? Love your show, by the way. Okay, so what we're really talking about here is if your intuition's telling you to do something like blogging or YouTube videos, but you have a fear of putting yourself out there, what's really happening is your ego is more concerned with external expectations, what other people are going to think about you because of it, versus your own internal alignment. So what's cool about this is you do know your intuition's telling you to do this. So it's not your ego driving you to do this for the external approval and appreciation. It is your intuition. So that means that right now you're seeking your love and approval, I believe, from others more than you're looking to get the love and approval from yourself. Because once you figure out where your love and approval is coming from, then you're going to look for guidance from that place, whether it's outside of you or inside of you, for guidance. So right now your intuition is guiding you to this thing that is blogging in YouTube, But your ego is like, no, I want the accepting and loving of other people. And that is feeling more powerful for you than the internal alignment. So my suggestion for you, Arisha, is to start shifting that internal alignment and that love and approval from within by using the affirmation, I love and accept you, Arisha, over and over again at morning, at night, as often as you can remember it during the day, starting to say that over and over again, even if you haven't fully felt it yet, is a way to start implanting this belief within you so eventually it starts to feel true to you. And once that happens, then you're going to start to shift your guidance and attention away from others and more into what's your intuition saying all along. So that is my new understanding, the deeper level of why are we so externally focused? I think it's because of love and approval. 
If we can start shifting our love and approval to come from within, we'll seek the guidance from within. That would be my suggestion. I know it's a little bit random. You may not have expected it, but I think that that is the deeper place to go first. Now we have D. Lapidus who said, how do you protect your energy when people around you are in a bad mood? As an empathetic, intuitive person, I find it very difficult to hang out with people who are grumpy or people with serious problems without getting totally decimated by it myself. First of all, I would say, this is a really interesting question, and I would say, practice putting yourself into a high vibration on your own when you're alone. So in the morning, start to do the practices that help you keep your energy in a good place. Because what we're really gonna try to do is really strengthen that muscle and that ability to get back into it when you fall out. So it's that rebound effect that we're trying to strengthen that we can start by trying to maintain a good state from the beginning of the day. So do what you can do, whatever feels great that gets you into a high vibration. Maybe that's screaming out Adele songs like it is for me or has been when I had a house in the past and would make the bed every morning listening to an Adele song. Or maybe that means doing meditation or maybe that means writing to your intuition, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's coloring. I'm not sure what it will be, but do whatever you can to put yourself in a high vibration. Then when you find yourself getting kind of affected by other people's moods, as soon as you can after that, go screaming into the woods, as Abraham Hicks has said, whenever you find yourself slipping from that, go back into not actually the physical woods, but go back into getting into your own place and getting into your own alignment and your own vibration away from those people when you can. It doesn't mean that you have to remove them from your life. It just means as soon as you can, after that experience is over, go back and get into your own alignment solo. And then of course, give yourself grace and acceptance when you do get affected too. That's totally something that is, like I said before, the kind of the baton handoff between the ego back into the intuition. So I think thinking that they'll never affect us may be too much pressure and not really practical, But this idea of strengthening our ability in the beginning of the day and trying to maintain it for as long as we can, and when we fall out of it, going screaming into the woods and going alone on our own to get back into it is probably the most helpful thing I have for you right now. And then hopefully you can start to maintain that feeling even when you're around other people. You can also see when other people are coming from those low places, it's a reflection of what's internally within them. So I like to use my sparkle water analogy. You guys may have heard me talk about this. I love the sparkles that reflect light off of the water when you look out onto the ocean or a lake somewhere because basically I look at the water as having a choice. Those water molecules, as you're looking out onto the horizon, the water has a choice to reflect the depths below, which will be a dark shadow, on the water or reflect the light of the sun above. So when you see someone kind of reflecting their shadows and their darkness, they're looking down at the bottom of the lake or the ocean rather than up at the sun. This is just the state that they're in and it's a reflection of what they're focusing on. It kind of starts to give you the awareness too that you have the choice to think about where your focus is going. Is it on the sun and the light above or is it going on the shadows and the depths below? That's something else that can kind of help you to start detaching yourself from their vibe. You can start to observe it without identifying with the state that they're in personally being something you have to have too. But I think expecting us to just jump to that and not being affected at all might be, like I said, a little crazy to expect and too perfectionistic. So give yourself grace and acceptance when you do get affected as well. Now we have Nessie Liu who said, how has your wardrobe changed now that it's getting colder? Packing is so much easier in summer. You can pack multiple summer tops in the same space as one thick jumper or coat. 
Amen. This is so true. And I've got such a random assortment of trips coming up that have all different types of weather. So I am not sure, honestly, what the answer to this is for me right now. I do know that I'm going to be bringing at least one or two thicker sweaters, I think. I haven't packed yet, so I'm not quite sure by the time of this recording what the answer really is there for me. So I don't really have a great suggestion to share or anything magical, but I do think layers that are thinner, obviously you can pack more of them. So that's one direction to go. Also, I have a good idea. Try the life-changing magic of tidying up. If you guys have read that, I know a lot of you guys have. Remember when she talks about stacking or kind of folding your clothes like they're little rectangles and you put them like bindings in your bookcase. You kind of see all of the spines of the shirts in a row. Just Google this if you don't know what I'm talking about. Just find life-changing magic of tidying up folding technique. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff out there on YouTube and images on Pinterest you can find to see what I'm explaining. But you can do that in your suitcase itself. And I'm finding I can fit more that way in my suitcase than I can rolling the clothes into those little like cinnamon roll type style of things in the space saver bags. That was what I found online when I was looking for things for packing tips and tutorials before I left. I had a friend, Erica in London, who mentioned that she does that folding technique from Marie Kondo in her suitcase, and I find that I can fit more that way as well. Now we have Meredith Whitker who said, hey Jess, I don't know if you touched on this in previous podcasts, but have you found a skincare routine that helps or treats your cystic acne flare-ups? I've been trying to eliminate or have minimal amounts of dairy and sugar, but still can't seem to get my skin under control. Thanks in advance. Love following along on your journey. As you guys know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, this has been something I focused on. So it's great to hear that you're limiting the dairy because I do think the dairy in terms of eating is what I notice the most in terms of causing it, but also gluten. I thought that gluten wouldn't affect my skin as much, but as I've made some, you know, kind of little exceptions here and there on the gluten side and not the dairy side, I've still seen stuff show up on my face. So if you guys are curious, look up Chinese face mapping. When you look it up, it'll show you where different acne appearing means different things about your systems. What I've basically found essentially is if it's coming out and cystic acne on my neck, my chin or my jawline or my lower cheeks, that's hormones. If it's coming out up on my forehead, that's digestion. And I notice that if I hit the dairy or the gluten, I will see the pimples appear on the forehead. But if I'm not eating those things, it disappears on my forehead. So that's really powerful. I haven't focused too much on sugar, but I don't really add it to a lot of things, though alcohol and stuff like that isn't great. And like white wine has sugar in it too. I just try to do that in moderation. But here are things that have worked for me. Number one is Acumax. This is a supplement vitamin pill, basically. It's totally natural. It has a large, large, large amount of DIM. I don't know what that stands for, but it's basically found in tons of broccoli and kale and those types of vegetables. And in large quantities, if you look up the Acumax before and after photos of cystic acne sufferers, the results are pretty incredible. I would look at it kind of like a natural Accutane sort of. It's really profound, the results people have had. So I've started taking that and I'm very excited and I've seen my acne flares going down, down, down since I've started taking it. I actually like it so much. I'm gonna see if I can maybe even get them as a sponsor for the show because just seeing it personally in my life works so well, I think it'd be easy for me to talk about how great it is. Next up, number two, I would say is that pumpkin seed oil. Cannot state that enough. And then number three is supplements. So in addition to the eating, I've also added things like zinc, saw palmetto, incital, a B complex, vitex, probiotic, and fiber. 
I know that's a long list of stuff, but as I'm trying to get these hormones under control and my skin clear, these are things that have been recommended for either the hormones themselves that are causing the pimples on my cheeks that are the stubborn part right now that I'm working on, or also getting the system of hormones back into alignment. Now we have Lex Ellens who said, hey Jess, I'm curious if and how you found a balance between flowing and following your intuition and implementing daily habits into your life. For example, something like exercise and meditation that maybe you don't feel like doing, but you know will benefit you more in the long run. Sometimes I struggle with differentiating between my ego and intuition, but sometimes I feel my intuition says to skip a day of meditation or yoga, even though it will benefit me to do it. What's your take on this? P.S. I love your podcast. It's absolutely changed my life. This is a really fascinating question, and I'm so glad you asked it, Lex. Okay, so when it comes to this idea that your intuition might be telling you to skip something, if your intuition's telling you to skip it, don't let your ego should all over yourself. Don't let it, just let it roll off. Don't let it rob you of the flow and joy of that day. If the intuition's saying not to do it, ask the intuition what you'd like to do instead. And what the intuition's telling you to do next, go do that. So this is just because it says, you know, skip the meditation today, it doesn't mean to go do something that's totally out of alignment with your values or your intuition instead. So find out what it says. So maybe it says, let's not do yoga today. I don't feel like it. Okay, well, if that's the case, ask yourself, what does sound fun to do instead of yoga today? Maybe it's gonna be a long walk with a friend. Maybe it will be reading instead. I'm not sure what it will be, but if you're taking the shoulds off the table and just figure out how you might want to do something else that's beneficial, maybe it's not meditation today. Maybe it's watching an inspiring YouTube video that's gonna help you in some way before work. I'm not sure what it will be, but maybe you can open yourself up to new possibilities that still align with your intuition and your values at the same time. Now we have Joka Dilek, I think is how you say it. Hey Jess, since starting listening to your podcast, Incorporating a Values-Based Lifestyle, I've found some pushback from my ego. The concept of letting go of detailed planning and trying to listen to my intuition is new and still in process. How do you deal with your ego wanting to know when you're still trying to learn to listen to your intuition? First of all, give it epic empathy. Don't fight it because it's like, I always say this, Franklin, my dog, loves to bark at skateboarders. So when he does, he sees a skateboarder go by on the street because he's terrified of them. He's not barking at them because he's mean. He's barking because he's scared. That's what the ego does when it's freaking out because it doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. It's scared, so it's barking. And it thinks, my dog really does think this. Franklin thinks so. When he's barking at the skateboarders, he's making them go away. He's scared of them, so he barks at them. And he thinks by barking, he'll make the fear go away. But really, you guys know, just as well as I do, that they're just skateboarding down the street. He's not making them go away, but he thinks that he caused them to leave, even though it's not true. This is exactly what the ego tries to do as well. It's fearful of the unknown, so it screams about it, it freaks out about it, it tries to plan about it, tries to do everything to solve the unknown, which is not really possible. And then from moment to moment, things unfold, and then the ego thinks and takes credit for it. But really, it's not. It's just things are unfolding because that's the way things go. That's because one moment turns into the next moment and then to the next. So when that happens, instead of yelling at my dog and telling him to stop barking, thanking him for doing his job, gets his attention quicker and he stops barking and he looks at me. He's still in high alert, but he's not barking anymore. He's looking at me and he's recognizing, thank you, mom, for... <laughs> you know, showing up and recognizing that I'm doing the right thing and appreciating what I'm doing for you. 
by doing that, it's like, thank you for doing your job. He totally stops barking, totally distracts him. And then also, it's so easy to want to yell at him as well, because he's barking and he's being loud and it's obnoxious and it happens every single time something goes down the street. You want to say, stop doing it and be really loud. When you do that to a dog, he thinks you're barking at it too. So it's validating his action. He's not thinking that you're yelling at him so much as he thinks that you're barking at the skateboarder as well. This is what happens when we beat up on ourselves because of the ego's frustration. So epic empathy and thank you for doing your job. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. I know that's what you're trying to do and I'm going to move ahead anyways. That is a way to kind of de-escalate and calm the ego down better than retaliating against it. Now we have Renee Lynn Brown who said, are you planning to go back to doing interviews again on The Lively Show? They were so incredibly powerful for me. As you guys have seen, yes, I am going to be going back to them as flow takes me there. Basically, what I'm now saying in my own life is what can I share each week that is of most value? That's my new mantra. What can I share this week of most value? If that's a solo show, great. If it's an interview, awesome. Neither one is more or less important to me now. I'm just going with what feels right. And ultimately, I hope will have the strongest impact for you guys in a way that will truly help you. I have a really high bar for what I hope to provide you in terms of content and whatever way I think will be best suited to that is what I'm going to go forward with. Next up, Kim Schreid asked, do you ever feel burned out having to come up with a profound aha moment or discovery each week for the podcast? Does that pace feel sustainable? It's really interesting, as I just answered the question right before this, it was flowing so well in the summer and I was growing so much from doing it and it just really felt right. And then more recently, doing that every week pace got a little bit straining. It just, it didn't actually ever feel hard, but it started to feel like, I don't know what's going to keep happening and showing up for me. I kept having faith that it would, and it always did. But at the same time, there was this kind of little moment of kind of going, yeah, is this totally sustainable? And at the exact same time that that was appearing, guests that had alignment with the topics we've been talking about this summer started to come into my life. So that was awesome because it was kind of like this beautiful, seamless handoff. And now I think it's going to go weaving back and forth between each, whether it's an interview or whether it's a solo show. So as far as the pace being sustainable, I kind of think about it like a priest or a pastor or a minister. They come up with messions and sermons to share and messages every week. And that kind of is essentially what I've been doing. Now it'll just either be an episode with an interview with someone or it'll be on my own. Now we have Amy Eliza who said, how do you maintain flow and alignment in the face of deadlines? I'm in graduate school right now and I'm having trouble carving out the time to do both self-care and find alignment. This is really interesting. And if you guys listened to this episode about alignment before effort, so basically I've been spending my time making sure I'm in alignment before I take action, I would really suggest Amy trying this and experimenting with it. Take a day and make sure that you find alignment before you take the actions and see how things flow with the deadlines that you have. As Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. That's what it's like when you're getting alignment before you take the actions. So instead of grinding it out, which is definitely the way most of us are taught to approach life, try getting into alignment first and then see how effective the studying or the deadlines follow from that alignment. See what that's like. And then ultimately simplifying the rest of your life right now so that you're not overwhelmed by so much going on might be something to consider too. This is just a season of your life and maybe you can simplify so that your self-care and aka your alignment is still happening at all times because that's going to make every other aspect of your life shine. 
And then maybe simplifying the things that are not essentials for you. Maybe that means less television, unless it's part of your self-care or alignment. If it helps you get there, great. If it's not, then it may be just a distraction from the things that are more value-driven for you. And just simplifying it so you're not overwhelmed overall. And just experiment to see if alignment really is more effective for you to get all the other things like deadlines done. Now we have Sadie K. Cornelius who said, loving the lively adventure. So fun to follow along. Just curious at how Franklin and Ellie are doing. Keep up the great work. I am so happy you asked this. Franklin and Ellie are doing wonderful. Ellie is loving her new backyard. As you guys may know, she's now living with my neighbors next door to my old house and she has a beautiful fenced in yard. So she gets to go see all the critters in my old yard. I did not have a fence. So she was kind of always on this 30 foot leash. So it's kind of had a limited radius to move about in. And now she has full range of the backyard. So she is loving it. And her new sister, Frida as well. And then Franklin is doing great in Eugene, Oregon with Mr. Lively, going on lots of hikes and having a lot of fun too. He actually just turned four, so I can't believe that. Oh, little Franklin turning four. Now we have Clara Ogren who said, I know you said you sold everything in your home along with the house, except the dining table that you said you'd never get rid of and a few boxes of items. How are you feeling about those items now? Do you plan to move all those items to your new home, wherever that may be? And like, seriously, she wanted to buy everything. The new owner really wanted your dishes, towels, artwork, everything. Yes, she totally did. I, like I said, take some of the personal mementos and artwork that had things like my grandpa's photos in them or things of the houses I've lived in and that sort of thing down and put those in the storage and also all my clothing and shoes and that sort of thing. But I have found that when I went through it this last week, I was just really doing the life-changing magic of tidying up on steroids. What brought me joy looking back at all of the things were really the stuff from my grandpa or my parents that really meant something to me that they had in their lives or homes and I wanted to bring those. Like there's a Christmas mug that has a Christmas tree handle on it and I've had that my whole life. So I saved something like that. I saved a beautiful vase that I love so much that I got for my birthday that's water for crystal my mom gave me. I also have a beautiful vase that my grandpa had in the past and grandma as well. So I saved some of that stuff, but a lot of the clothing got donated. It was really interesting any of the things that happened in my life that I personally had purchased before the conclusion of my marriage, before that stuff, none of that seemed to spark. Like I had like a pair of jeans and a few things, but very little. I mean, very little. I basically just have less than a box of clothing left that's not in my suitcase now. And the things that I did keep were the things that I purchased after that transition. I don't know if it's something about this new life feeling fresh and new, but it was so fascinating to see myself feel rather detached from things from the life before that. But I think it's kind of a nice clean slate in a lot of ways to move forward without things from my past that don't need to continue to stay there, I guess. But really, it all came from the what sparks joy and what feels exciting. And I did think about this as if I'm moving to London or Lisbon, would I bring this with me? That was definitely my point of view as I did it because I do plan to take whatever, you know, there are like three or four boxes left and like I said, business taxes too. So those things I will take with me and that's kind of where I looked at it as. If I was staying in the States, I probably would have been maybe a little more lenient on stuff staying, but ultimately I feel so fresh and free with such the small amount of stuff that I'll still have and I think I'm still gonna be really grateful for the things that I did decide to keep too. And there you have it, guys. Those are my A's to your Q's today. Before I share where I'm going next on my journey, let's talk with Christy Sumer, the founder of today's sponsor, Encircle.ca. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jess, for having me. I appreciate it. 
tell us how you got to where you are. So I originally started my career as a strategy consultant. And as a consultant, you're required to be on client sites. So I was traveling over 100,000 miles a year on a plane every single week, living basically out of a suitcase and in an airport. And that inspired me to look for more stylish travel options for clothing because I was constantly on the road and I couldn't really bring a lot of stuff with me. So was there a specific moment where you're like, I've had enough with what the options are for travel clothing and I'm ready to do something about it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I was packing to go to actual Costa Rica. I was actually going on vacation to a yoga retreat and my suitcase broke and I had to like downsize everything into a really tiny bag last minute. And I started to realize that I was bringing stuff that I was wearing just once. And that was really frustrating to me. And I saw a couple of standard silhouettes, like a scarf and a cardigan. And I was like, why do I even need like two things for this? Couldn't one thing just do this equally well? So that kind of started the idea for my first design, the Chrysalis Cardi, which is like an eight-way to wear a cardigan scarf dress. And I wanted to make it out of really nice fabric because a lot of those multi-weight garments, they're like see-through or they pill or you have to tie them. They don't look like what they're supposed to be, but our pieces are actually looking like what they're supposed to be. So it doesn't look like you're tying a scarf into a sack or something like that. And I know you guys have a lot of values when it comes to your company. Can you mind sharing what your values for Encircled? Yeah, we're all about helping our customers be more with less and find adventure in the everyday. So we're all about conscious consumerism. So it's really important to us to have ethical manufacturing practices. So everything is made locally in Toronto, Canada, and we use only sustainable fabrics that use low impact dyes, eco-friendly fibers are sustainably harvested and renewable. So that's really important to us as well. And we also encourage our customers to align their wardrobes with their life and their values. Because I think it's really important if you're building a life based on intention and values to align your wardrobe to that and make sure that you're feeling, you know, holistic about every area of your life. Yeah. After watching things like the, the True Cost and those kind of documentaries that are kind of helping a lot of listeners, I know we've been sharing emails and comments and Instagram about, you know, what do we do now that we know that we want to help the planet and have more of a zero waste lifestyle or kind of lean in that direction? Or we want to know the practices of where our clothing is being made. This is a really nice option. And then for all those capsule wardrobe people out there, this is one item in your wardrobe you get to wear eight ways. That's a pretty good piece, no matter whether you're traveling or not, that you can get a lot of wear out of it at home or while you're abroad. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's all about like being more mindful. So I think typically like the zero waste lifestyle, I love that, but it's not realistic for a lot of people. So what we want to do is encourage people to just integrate more ethical options into their wardrobe slowly. You can start with a t-shirt or a favorite pair of pants and just start to feel the experience of buying something that's made better and made kindly. Okay. So I know you have something pretty special for Lively Show listeners who want to get started and check out your designs. Would you mind sharing what that is? Yes, we'd be happy to offer lively listeners who want to try out our stuff 10% off their order. They just need to go to www.encircle.co and enter the code lively. The code expires on December 31st. So there's lots of time to plan for yourself or for gifts for holiday. And again, that's encircled.co, right? Yep, correct. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jess. And now for a sneak peek. This week, I am staying in Chicago, and next week I am as well to soak up my favorite places, people, and of course, my favorite nachos. Until this Thursday, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.